morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I beat around the bush just a little bit. I know you're not surprised by that. You listen to me week in and week out. But I mean particularly in private conversations. There's something that we need to talk about, and it seems like I'm determined to chit-chat for minutes, hours, if it's a long visit, days, and never really get around to the thing that I wanted to say. It's not unusual, as a matter of fact, after a trip to see my kids or my parents, that at the very end of the trip, that I'm like, oh yeah, I wanted to make sure that you knew I was never coming back here again. No, I don't, I, I don't say that. I think that, but I don't say that. You know, but there's something that I needed to talk about. And I wait until that last moment. And, and maybe you've had people do that to you. And you're sitting there thinking, you've been here all weekend. Why did you pick in the driveway to tell me this, right? And sometimes we're like that. Because we realize whenever we come to the close of a conversation or a visit, that we need to make sure we say the most important thing. That's why for many of us, the last thing we say to the people we care about is I love you. Because we want them to know that's the most important thing and I, and I want you to know it as the last thing I said to you. Well, here in the book of Galatians, uh, we get to this interesting passage where Paul clearly has something very important to say. We see uh, here in verse 11 that he has taken the pen from his secretary and he is writing in larger, more distinguished letters uh, what he wants to make sure the Galatians understand. Now, let me be clear. Paul has not been beating around the bush. Uh, what he summarizes here in these last few verses or what he's been saying throughout the entire book but now he's writing it literally, as the text tells us, in large letters. In other words, uh, that bold font, underscored, all caps. I want you to make sure you hear this. You need to know these important truths. What is it that he wants to tell us? What's so important? Well, this morning we really are looking at two uh, really I would say the two most important aspects of the gospel he is going to mention in these texts. And so it's an incredibly helpful text. The two big hooks we're going to hang things on this morning as we look at this text is we're going to text is we're going to look at two kinds of bows. And we're going to look at one thing that really matters. So two kinds of bows and one thing that really matters. So here in the beginning of this text, Paul talks about two different kinds of boasting. The first kinds of boasting he calls boasting in the flesh. Now, I know if you've been with us for a while looking at the book of Galatians, you've heard this expression uh, thrown around a lot as we've discussed the book of Galatians. The flesh is our sinful nature. It is our way of thinking, our natural desires that have not been changed or, or renewed by the work of God in our life. It is the way of thinking and acting and feeling that's just like everybody else in the world. And he said there is a kind of boasting that goes along in the flesh and he really refers to it when he refers to these enemies, these opponents that have been disturbing the precious Christians around the area of Galatia. 
And what does he say? What does this boasting in the flesh, what does it look like? Well, first of all, it's concerned with appearance. You see uh, here in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. That expression, good showing, uh, literally reads to put on a good face. In other words, these people who are disturbing you, their boasting is all about the surface. It's all about the appearance and how things look on the outside. And of course, we can relate with that. Uh, We absolutely live in the most curated age, perhaps, that has ever existed where we are so careful to make sure that every photograph that we put online has been retouched, that every event that we post about is edited so only the best parts are mentioned, that our children are always delightful, helpful, and obedient, and always excelling in a remarkable way, right? We curate everything. Why? Because the appearance is so important to us. It was important to these opponents of Paul's. That's part of what boasting in the flesh looks like, but it also is about performance. Notice as Paul talks about these people, it's interesting uh, that he says they desire, down in verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now here, Paul has done something very interesting. He often, in the book of Galatians, is talking about flesh in terms of that worldly nature. But here, he clearly is, I don't know whether it's tongue-in-cheek or it's pointed uh, criticism. He is talking about actual flesh, parts of our body. Now, this is the gross-you-out part of the sermon. I'm just going to be... I'm going to be honest with you. Here Paul is is saying something very similar to an Old Testament story that usually doesn't make it in the children's curriculum. And here it's in the Bible though. Um, David, uh, the the man that God said would be king, uh, while he was serving under King Saul, the king that God had rejected, wanted to marry the king's daughter Micah, Michael, excuse me. And Saul said, here's the deal. I'll let you marry her if you bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. Now, for those of you who don't want to think about that, that's fine. But effectively, this was a Jewish version of a scalp. That's all I'm going to say. David brought him 200, and he was able to marry the king's daughter. Now, that marriage didn't end up so well, but you can read the rest of the story yourself. You know, it's, uh, you probably won't see that story in the children's Bible, right? But yet here, when Paul says, these people want you to be circumcised so they can boast in your flesh, he's saying they basically want spiritual tallies, Look at, look at how many people that we have made effectively a Jewish proselyte, a Jewish convert. Look, look at how many credits we get. That's essentially saying their boast is their performance. Now, I know you're shocked that people involved in ministry could possibly be performance-oriented. 
but let me tell you, I'm an old church planter. And the most awkward moment in any gathering of church planters is the question, so how many people are coming to your service? So how, how are you guys doing against your budget? And I got to tell you, the most, the most verbose people at the church planter meetings are the people who have the most people and are doing the best along the budget. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately, even sometimes people involved in ministry are performance-oriented, but, but we understand that. Not only are we curated and concerned about how things appear on the outside, but we always feel better when we do better. We feel better when we accomplish more. Many of you are in vocational ministry. And let's face it, when more people subscribe to your podcast or your blog or bought your book or listened to your whatever, you know, then you feel better about yourself. There's still a part of us that says that my value, my worth, my significance is based on not only how things appear on the outside, but how well it's actually going. You know, how's it looking? How am I performing? If we had a bad performance week, we feel down in the mouth. We feel, we feel like things aren't going well. But there's a third thing Paul says that boasting in the flesh looks like. Not only is it about appearance and about performance, but it's about comfort. It's about comfort. Notice what it says here. He says... And uh, in verse 12, that they, they want to force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What is Paul saying? Well, there are two ways of thinking about this. The first is that Paul is aware that there's a growing Jewish zealous movement in the 40s and 50s that is seeing any association with Gentiles or the Gentile world as a huge disadvantage. In other words, the zealots are doing a guilt by association campaign. If you hang out with these people, if you talk to these people, if you associate with these people, if you act like you like them at all, you're out. And so perhaps it is that these people want to circumcise all these Gentiles because when a Gentile gets circumcised, they become a Jewish proselyte. That means they essentially are embraced into the Jewish community as a full convert. And so it's a way of, of basically satisfying these zealots. Others, however, believe that what this is referring to is the fact that inside the church there was... Uh, a strong legalistic element, uh, Jewish legalistic element that believed that the only way uh, to basically be a full orb follower of God is if you follow all the law, especially circumcision. We see that back in Acts chapter 15. There were people actually in the council at Jerusalem that said Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be a part of this movement that Jesus has started. And of course, in Acts 15, they decided, no, they weren't going to put that burden on Gentiles. And you can go and read that uh, for yourself. But there was clearly elements inside the church that were very much campaigning for that. Even though they were losing that battle, they were still adamant about it. And so these people in Galatia were effectively saying, look, we can satisfy the hardliners and our life will be easier. And isn't it still like that? It doesn't matter whether we're talking about a religious community or a, a social community or a political community. The hardliners always set the pace. 
They are always the ones who say, if you don't do exactly what we say, we're going to consider you an enemy, an opponent, someone on the other side. And so oftentimes we will accommodate or capitulate to their desires so that we can live in greater comfort within that group of people. We just don't know. And so here Paul is saying these are basically what boast in the flesh are all about. It's all about our appearance. It's all about, it's all about our performance. It's all about our comfort. Not interesting. I don't know. I, I watch too much soccer, to be honest with you. It's, uh, uh, I'm repenting. I'm not actually going to change my behavior, but I'm at least telling you about it. <laughs> I'm not convinced it's a sin yet. Uh, and then I'll really repent, but... Nonetheless, in soccer, there are, for those of you who play FIFA, you know this, there are many ways to boast when you score a goal. You know, there's, uh, there's the point to the badge. You know, that's a very team-oriented boast. Hey, I play for the team. It's for the team. They kiss the badge. Oh, I love my team until somebody offers me more money. Yeah, you know. And then you've got the people who are just straight up the best in the world. And when they score a goal, they do this. They point to the name on the back of their jersey. Forget the badge, you know. And then, then there's people who score a goal and they take their shirt off completely. I don't know what that's about. I think that's showing off that they somehow have a 12-pack instead of a 6-pack. And they're so incredibly, you know, fit. You know, so they're just bragging, I guess. Maybe they're auditioning to be a GQ model. I don't know what they're doing, right? But there, but there are all these ways. I don't know. I just thought if we were talking about Paul saying that there are people who boast in the flesh, I think it's good to at least acknowledge that I struggle with all these things. I mean, I may not be trying to get people circumcised, but I certainly am concerned about how things appear. I certainly want, you know, to have excellence when it comes to my accomplishments and my performance. I certainly want to enjoy comfort. Is this what I boast in? And what does that mean to boast? To boast means that I find my significance in this. I find my purpose in this. I'm motivated to do this. I can just go on in life if blank is true. Or if I accomplish this or attain this. This is what Paul is talking about. But then there's a second kind of boast, and this is where we really need to spend a lot more time. And this is a boast that Paul says should be the only boast that he should have. He said, may it never be that I should boast in anything but what? Notice what he says. May it never be that I should boast in anything but the cross of Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one... Let me say straight up, this is completely counterintuitive. <laughs> He's like, there's only one boast. May it, may it never be that I should boast in anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is such a nonsensical statement. I don't think we can, I, I, I really don't think we could get the sense of it. You know, some writers say, that's like saying that, you know, uh, may it, Never be that I boast in anything but the electric chair, electric chair or the guillotine or hangman's noose and all that stuff. I just don't think that that even gets across the idea of that. You know, I think that it's almost like saying, may it, 
may it never be that I boasted anything but putrid, vile, you know, disgusting, you know, vomit. And, and you say, why are you saying these things? Because that's what the cross was in the Roman world in the first century. The cross was something Romans didn't refer to directly. They called it the un, that unlucky tree. They wouldn't even talk about it. It was something you didn't discuss in polite company. It was something you said in hushed tones. And Paul says, that's the only thing that I should boast in. What? That is so bizarre. What, what does he mean? Why is he saying that that's his boast? Because he understands the cross of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in all of human history. Why? One, because of what the cross does. Look uh, with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's so many places we could read. Uh, let's read verse 19 and 21. In verse 19, Paul writes there, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he says, look, the first thing that's happening in the cross is reconciliation. And that implies that God and humanity are not on good terms. And the Bible tells us that. They're not on good terms. Why? Because God created humanity to reflect the glory of God and to live in the way that he had created us to live. But instead, we decided we'd be independent. We'd do it our own way. Uh, we do what we thought and felt, regardless of what God said about it. And because of that, the relationship between humanity and God was, was broken. It was broken in, in such a dramatic way. We call it the fall. As humanity has fallen from the grace that God created them in. And so the first thing that the cross does is it brings reconciliation. We can actually be in relationship with God because of what he's doing in Christ. But notice in verse 21, how? How does that work? For our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is mind-blowing. How does that reconciliation happen? It doesn't happen with a nice polite note from God. Hi, humanity. Why don't you meet me in a rose-covered field? And let's talk about how we can get along. No. Because that wouldn't have taken care of the, of, of the unbelievable offense against God. Instead, what does God do? He makes Jesus to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? That's what the cross does. In the cross, we see Jesus actually tortured on this horrible, unspeakable place of execution. There he becomes a curse. There he bears the penalty for sin. There he absorbs the judgment of God. There he actually takes our place as sinners. He becomes sin. Why? So that we can become the righteousness of God. 
He takes from us the guilt and judgment that our rebellion deserves and gives to us, if we believe in him, his righteousness. It's called a double imputation. Our sin is applied to his account and his righteousness is applied to ours. No wonder Paul says, I'm not going to boast in anything but the cross because that is where my biggest problem was taken away. That is where my greatest need was taken care of. That is where my true significance was found. Not in my appearance, not in my performance, not in my comfort, but in the fact that I am right with God and seen in his sight as righteous because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, that I'll brag about. That I'll brag about. The cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. But I want us to see as well that when Paul describes this, he says, look, This is one of those things that is going to make sense to some people and it's going to be completely crazy to other people. In other words, while it's the only thing that Paul's going to boast in, he's not saying he thinks it's going to make sense that he's boasting in it. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, I love it, verse 18, a beginning of an amazing section. He says, for the cross of Christ, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You say, in other words, Paul's saying, look, while it's my boast, I understand that in this world, the people who have not embraced it, who have not seen their need for reconciliation with God, have not actually thought about the reality of their own sin and offense against him. To them, the cross is nonsense. It's folly, he says. Why? Because it's so offensive, isn't it? Have you ever thought about the offense of the cross? Do you know what the cross says? Why does Paul say that it's folly to those who are perishing? He says it because, let's think about it, just in terms of a pure, unrenewed human reasoning, reasoning, the cross is an affront to our pride. The cross says to me and to you, you cannot do it on your own. No matter how hard you try, no matter how well you perform, no matter how it looks, no matter how comfortable your life, no matter how morally straight as an arrow you are, no matter how nice you are to the people around you, it is never enough to make up for your rebellion against God. The cross says you cannot do it on your own. And I'll be honest, especially Western Americans hate that idea. I mean, I have learned that. I've only been here a couple years now. But I can tell you one thing I can do to rile up any of the men that I hang out with is suggest to them they cannot do something themselves, right? Uh, I have a, a dear brother, and he successfully did it, so I, I, can't, I can't tell a funny story about how he couldn't. But he was determined he could rewire his house he just bought all by himself. Uh, he, he, he explained that because he was an engineer, he knew, knew how to do that. Uh, the humorous thing to me was, we have an electrician in our small group, but why ask him? I can do it myself, you know. And he, he did it himself. The same guy just said, I can refinish the floors myself. He's here, he's here now. He knows I'm talking about him. 
And he did, he did, he did it himself. Now he's gonna have black lung when he gets older because it took him four months of sanding down the floors. But, and, that's, and that's our mentality, right? I, I can do it myself. But the problem is then we then say, I can secure my eternal future. I can make my own significance. I can determine my own purpose all by myself. And the Bible says over and over, you just can't. You can't. And the cross of Jesus Christ stands there as evidence that God knew you couldn't. Because let's, let's just put, put it right down at the bottom. If we could have done it ourselves, the cross is the most colossal waste of effort, time, and sacrifice ever in human history. If we, if we could have done it ourselves, why would we be celebrating Christmas? You know, we, we would be saying, Jesus came, so what? Another baby born in the world. We didn't need him. Why is this a big deal? Why is it so important that he came? Because we could not do it ourselves. Paul said, look, it is folly to the world because we think we can do it all ourselves, including our meaning, significance, purpose, and spiritual well-being. And God said, you can't, but I'm going to do it for you in Jesus through his birth, perfect life, death, and resurrection. But in order to be right with me, you have to stop trying and trust me. You have to stop trying and believe in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Yes, it is folly in the world. But that thing that's folly is the power of God. The power of God working for us. Isn't that amazing? You could talk. I actually listened to a few sermons by uh, Dr. Uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, English pastor, Welsh pastor, preached in London for many years. He preached nine sermons on this one verse. It might be beginning to feel that way. <laughs> you can't exhaust it. Isn't that a great question? You know, I was sitting there thinking about it. Here's the head trip that preachers get. I was so excited about this text. I know it's not a Christmas message per se, but it kind of is. You just have to think about it. And I thought, I'm so excited to talk about this thing that I want to be my only boast, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so excited. And then at the very next second, do you know what came into mind? I hope people like it. <laughs> do you see how messed up we are? I'm so excited. The only thing that gives me meaning and significance and purpose and hope and a future is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I hope I get approval. What is wrong with us? You're like, well, it might just be your problem, Chris. <laughs> if it is, I'm sorry. Then you guys hear about this a lot. Do you see, this is not something that that we determine one time in our life, but we constantly are asking, Lord, are you my only boast? Are you the only place I find purpose, significance, and joy? And you know the easiest way to, to see that it's leaking and that you're actually beginning to boast in things that are appearance or performance or comfort related is let one of those things be hit. 
you know, let your performance be questioned. Let your comfort be assaulted just a little bit. Let the, the cracks start to show on the, on the outside and we'll see where our true boasting is. Isn't that the way it is? And you say, well, what do I do when that happens? Repent. Lord, forgive me for trying to find meaning, purpose, and significance in, in the appearance of things, in my comfort, in my performance. And Lord, please help me live like it's true that the only thing that matters is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we step out in faith. And five minutes later, we have the opportunity to talk to God about that again. But we have to see this boast in the cross has to have an effect on us. It must affect us. Notice how does it affect us? I love it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 it says this. I told my wife we're going to have a little bit of a Bible drill today because this stuff is just too deep. In Romans 6, 6, Paul writes it this way. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see what Paul says? Because I only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Notice, notice what he says. He says that by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? Well, in Romans 6, 6, he gives us some clarity. He says the first thing it means is I'm not enslaved to this world. You see, in this world, we are constantly being told you don't have value if you don't look like this, if you don't perform like this, if you don't enjoy these kinds of things or consume these kinds of things. And Paul says, because I know what really matters, what really gives me significance and purpose, I'm no longer enslaved to that. I'm free from that. I can enjoy the good things in this world without them becoming ultimate things that I confuse with my well-being, with my sense of purpose and significance. I am free from the slavery of what the world tells me I should be and should think and should say and should do. I am free from that. I am no longer enslaved to that. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you like to be truly and totally free from the idols of this world, Paul says, then boast in the cross. Secondly, we can see what true treasure looks like in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes it this way. Yes, we're looking at a lot of Pauline passages because we're trying to understand this very compact passage uh, even better. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about, from, a, from an outside perspective, all of the accomplishments that he's had in his spiritual life. Uh, but I love it in uh, Philippians 3, 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So there's a freedom, but there's also a perspective that when you total up everything this world can give you, everything, every significance, every fame, every dollar, every accomplishment, every attainment, 
He says, when you total it all up and you put it in the balance over against Christ, it's worth nothing. Jesus says it a different way. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but forfeit his soul? In other words, we get so confused about what is important, about what's important. It's kind of like this Christmas. Little children everywhere will get very expensive presents and they will play with the boxes more than the present, right? It's inevitable. It's inevitable. The box will be far more entertaining. The box will stimulate their imagination. And the box will end up being more valuable than the present. In so many ways, even sometimes Christians, we are more fascinated by the box of this world than by the God who created it and fills it and will renew it and make the new heavens and new earth a place where delight will never end for all eternity. But we are very obsessed with the box. Paul says, no, when we understand that our only boast is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us perspective, freedom and perspective. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I've got another point. I'm halfway through the sermon. I'll tell you what, I'll do the the, the other half next week. It's because I don't want you to leave confused about what was the most important thing we talked about today. You see, Christmas is a wonderful opportunity for us to reflect on the hope that we have, right? The Apostle Paul is saying, look, let's just say it this way. I'm going to reframe Paul's statement here in Christmas terms. You know, Christmas is either about all of the shiny, glitzing glory of the moment or it is a reminder of the endless flame of God's love and grace that will last for eternity. And all of us can actually be doing the same practices and having two very different experiences. For instance, I might decorate my house to the hilt, inside and out. And I do that as, a, as an extension of my excitement about the reality that the only thing that truly gives me significance is Jesus Christ and celebrating his birth, his life, his death and resurrection gives me great joy. And so that every time somebody sees my house all lit up, what I am hoping they see is here is a person whose life is about Jesus and they're having the biggest party they can for him every Every single December 25th, it might be that because your only boast is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it might be that I do exactly the same thing. I decorate my house on the inside and out and I make sure that it always smells like cinnamon and spice with a little bit of evergreen. And yet what I think is I hope everybody sees how nicely my house is decorated. I hope everybody sees the new stuff that I put on the outside. I hope they see my 12-foot Santa, right, in the front yard. In other words, two people can do the exact same thing for two completely different purposes. And the question is, this Christmas, how do we come to it? 
Is our Christmas celebration a celebration of the fact that we could not do what was most important for ourselves, but God did it for us in Jesus Christ who was born in a manger and we glory only in his accomplishment in the cross? Or do we say, isn't that a nice story? Isn't it glad that even though I was most of the way there myself, that God gave us a little bit of, of an assist, you know, that he helped us out by coming, that he set such a good example, you know, that he said so many nice things. But I am perfectly fine on my own. Christmas is a great opportunity to think about that. That's why so often and many of our families go through different scriptural passages through this season that talk about our need for a Savior and then the arrival of that Savior and the life of that Savior and the death of that Savior and the resurrection of that Savior. Christmas is a great time to ask, what is my glory? Is that what I hope will be under the tree on Christmas morning? Or is it what Christmas morning points to in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? May you be encouraged in that. And may we be a people who have one boast, just one, the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for how kind you are to us. Lord, you are perfect. And in your perfect love and grace, you have shown us where to find purpose, significance, meaning. And it is in the perfect work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit will help us see the things we really are boasting in in our life. That you will enable us to be honest about how much more we care about appearance, performance, and comfort than we care about what Christ has done for us. And Lord, help us to be free from that very worldly way of thinking. And, oh, Lord, may we see that all of those attainments, fleeting at best, are nothing compared to what we have gained in the death of Jesus Christ. May this Christmas be a time of renewal or perhaps the beginning of a relationship with you by putting our hope, our trust, our boast in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.